Peace be upon you, and welcome to this week's edition to Pathway to Peace, a show which takes an analytical look at the current issues and trends affecting us all, trying to find the answers to problems that affect our political peace, economic peace, social peace, and perhaps the noblest of them all, inner peace. In this fast-paced modern world, it's easy to find ourselves ensnared by the web of procrastination and complacency. Yet we are reminded by the Holy Quran and the Sunnah, the practice of the Holy Prophet, the peace and blessings of God be upon him, that our time is a precious gift from God, entrusted to us to fulfill our rights to our fellow beings and our rights to God. In today's show, we'll be focusing on attaining inner peace. I'm your host, Glee Monroe, and in this episode, we'll be looking at personal productivity, in particular, tackling laziness and how there are similarities between Japanese and Islamic ethics in this arena. We'll delve into the practical strategies rooted in the Islamic tradition that empower us to reclaim our productivity, from establishing a balanced routine that allocates time for worship, work and rest, to engaging in acts of remembrance that rejuvenate our hearts and minds, each step that leads towards a pathway to peace. Join with me to attempt to dissect this topic and its many encompassing issues, is fellow Pathway to Peace presenter, Asif Ashraf. So, Assalamualaikum and more welcome to you, Asif. Peace be with you, Kareem. Nice to be with you. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, obviously it's the first use. I've kind of taken the place of uh, Nasir this week. So a pleasure to uh, to, to kind of uh, work alongside you on this one. Um, Great. And I, was just, I, was just, well, I was just going to say, well, I think the backdrop to this is recently I went on... Uh, um, there was as part of work, you know, no sounds of going off tangent here, but one of at work I went on a, a course, and this course was sort of lo- looking at things like lean, six sigma, and these concepts, which which we're going to come into no doubt in the show. And um, a lot of it's a lot of that philosophy sort of based within it's sort of a Japanese kind of you know methodology, and um, fascinating, fascinating course. Um, you can you can take lots of it. And um, apply it to sort of your, you know, to sort of your, your working, you know, your everyday sort of work. But I just couldn't help but think um, some of those things are so fascinating. Some of the concepts, some of the principles that you think you could quite easily apply them to your day to day life, you know. Um, but I just, you know, it's from my, I mean, one, one thing I sort of love about sort of training courses such as these, you know, obviously you go on it for, for work. But it's great to see that you can take some of these aspects and apply them to sort of your personal life, which I think is always quite helpful. I don't know if you, about you, but when I've been on some of these courses, you do reflect upon this whole idea, well, I've actually heard that before, or, or I know that concept within my Islamic teaching or my my philosophy, or why have yeah. they chosen that word or why have they chosen that process? Um, yeah. And so it, you do draw automatic comparisons with your yeah. own Muslim upbringing or your own way of life and so forth yeah. and inevitably there are always great things there that are in those cultures and those teachings but you always see some of those that are already there perhaps also yeah. in your own religion and so yeah. I think that's kind of the the concept it does trigger that kind of review yeah. of compa- comparison with your culture and your and your your religion and and so forth with respect to whatever you've been taught yeah. about personal development in general yeah, no, absolutely. Which I think is just great, which is which is great. And I'm sure a lot, all of us can sort of relate actually. Um, I, I suppose before we sort of kind of launch straight into some of these principles, we'll be focusing at some of these sort of Japanese concepts and how they do sort of have some sort of similarities, or so we feel uh, from a, from an Islamic perspective. Um, but before we sort of launch into these sort of seven sort of principles, I thought it might be quite interesting to sort of look at almost sort of the precursor to a lot of this methodology, this lean, what they call. Um, and really what, you know, what sort of, what brought about this sort of methodology? And and, and I only say this because it was, it was just something I learned <laughs> within the course itself, because it was, it was fascinating to see how a lot of this was sort of born out of sort of post-World War II Japan uh, and how it just given the aftermath of World War II, we obviously Japan obviously joined the sites, um, you know, of, of, of the German forces, and um, well, and obviously what a you know a, sort of a, a very very sad sort of moment of, of, of human history when the sort of two nuclear bombs had been dropped in, in Japan, um, which 
you know, so we won't go into the politics of that in, in, in this, uh, you know, we've, we've covered that in other shows. But nevertheless, to say that it caused, you know, sort of mass destruction uh, upon Japan. And it really, I mean, we talk about sort of literally building up from scratch. You know, they had to sort of, you know, start industry again from from, from rock bottom, basically. And it was just, it, it's, yeah, sorry, I was going to say, yeah. I was going to say, it's kind of interesting. I don't know whether you must have thought this at the time when you did this course, that while we record this side of stuff, one of the, um, in the public world also, in the entertainment world is, is the film about Oppenheimer that's yes. currently out at the moment. So I'm not sure whether your mind or thought <laughs> process returned to, to that uh, in light True. of this process as well, because True. there must have been some analogies that were, were drawn there as well. No, absolutely. Because it's such a, it's quite a, it's a pivotal point in sort of human history. There's so many lessons to sort of be learned from what had happened and to not, and to not go back there again, um, you know, you know, and obviously it's it's quite nerve wracking what's happening now on the political scene where everyone's well, superpowers are sort of saber rattling with with with, with their with their um with their arms, so to speak. But this is what happened with the aftermath. We see that Japan obviously had to sort of rebuild its industry. Um, I think I think there's a I've got a uh, there's a source here. This sort of methodology comes from uh, what is you now the, the the Toyota um, sort of manufacturer. And I've got something from their sort of web website about about this sort of period. And they say during the period following the Second World War, the, the global economy enjoyed a rapid economic growth, um, and it's made possible by an abundance of low-cost oil supplied from the Middle East. And I guess, and then it goes on to say it was actually around about sort of the 1970s. That's where I suppose where it began to be a bit of a problem. So in the early 1970s, however, as, as the pace of discovery of new oil sources slowed. And little progress was made in the development of new energy, obviously like it's happening today, and that could replace oil. The sense of the crisis concerning energy energy steadily rose, and, and as a result, the global concerns regarding energy crisis heightened. Um, it probably wasn't until October 1973. Um, this is what this was the Arab-Israeli war broke out, uh, and this is obviously where the Arab countries announced reductions in oil production and exports as a result of that. And this this sort of decrease in oil supply uh, and increase in prices further spurred the shortages of various productions that were occurring at the time. The sense, and it says, the sense of shortage of various consumer products, uh, right through from toilet paper through to detergents, gave rise to a chaos in the distribution processes. So the Japanese government attempted to limit consumption and to control the disorder by adopting two oil-related laws. So they, they're trying to sort of, you know, minimize sort of the impact that they're having upon themselves um and it goes on to say that japan and nearly every other advanced industrial country suffered from declines in their gross national product resulted in high inflation during the 19 the mid mid 70s people may remember that um almost almost in a way yeah ironically enough is probably what we're going through at the moment um i think it was i think it was a lot worse actually um to, right. compared to what we go through now but I mean, having lived through some of that, but not being too old yeah. at the time, um, yeah. I do recall it being a pretty difficult time. Both the upheaval of that one is issue of rising oil prices, it caused global kind of impacts. Yeah. You know, there were geopolitical issues going on. There was issues related to the labour force going on in different countries, especially the UK. So there yeah. was the impact sort of the snowball effect of it yes inflation was one of those things but i you know i think to some extent at the moment we haven't quite got to that stage at this moment um we've obviously got a geopolitical issue going on at the moment um yeah. in terms of conflict and and uh, that's probably quite key but one of the things it's the 70s issue was quite a, a strong turning point both in terms of how um major countries started to face up to this idea of oil dependency in the middle east yeah. Um, yeah. and, and and the the realization i suppose really that oil uh, had a big impact on, on the economy and across the board um, yeah. and as i recall also the japanese car manufacturers yeah. uh, did use that opportunity to advantage because as i understand there were probably cars that originally would not have been um taken to by the american gas guzzling cars at the yeah. time but they started to take traction because there was 
Bay inadvertently or not, they were seen as more economical. Yeah. Um, so they got a bit of traction during that time as well. So some of their economy improved because of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll just following on from that, and this is sort of what we see, what gets sort of born out of sort of Japanese thinking is this this methodology that was used by Toyota, obviously Japanese sort of largest car manufacturer. They called it the Toyota Production System (TPS). Um, and it says this was sort of this was established based on two concepts. The first is called a Japanese term called judoka. Apologies in advance for the sort of the, the really bad mispronunciations that you're probably going to hear from me on this show. Um, this this word can be loosely translated as automation with a human touch, and it means essentially, which means that when there's a when a problem occurs, the equipment stops immediately, preventing defective products from being produced. And the second is a very famous concept that we know quite well, well, well aware of in the West, um, is the concept of just in time. And this is of, this is born out of this sort of lean methodology, in which each process produces only what is needed by the next process in a continuous flow. So some really some opportunities. I mean, we, this. I mean, it's not for this show because we're actually talking about something quite quite personal here about sort of personal productivity. But there's a lot to be said about. I suppose on a on a on a economic level, a, a macroeconomic level, where there's arguments that in the West or they say they say particularly in the UK, productivity is not high, um, and they need to you know. And I, I I'm I'm not sure. I'm I'll be honest. I'm not. I'm not that grounded enough to know whether or not that's just just words being said, you know, by by politicians. Um, but it's an interesting it's an interesting sort of you know something maybe a topic to take up. Yeah. So I think one of the interesting first point that you you talked about around this idea of when things don't go right, they stop the production line kind of idea. But yeah. there, as I remember in my kind of education, was mm. there was a lot of talk around this time because. Um, when I was going through some of my uh, university and post-university education, uh, Japan was the the economy that everyone was seeing as the challenging economy in the globally speaking. And we see that's changed a lot now. But yeah. at that particular time, you know, Japan was the the force to be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the principles that was always taught about way, the way the Japanese did it was this concept of zero defect. And as though you talk around just in time, but zero defect comes into yeah. it quite an interesting aspect because it ties into this idea of achieving something to a perfect level of of accepting no bad or wrong product, trying to achieve that level of, of zero defect. And this is an interesting thing because at that particular time, let's, let's say through the 70s as well, um, you know, the British car manufacturing industry was was quite big, a huge kind yeah. of car industry, but they never had this concept of zero defect. They never mm. had this principle of it was accepted. Some you know cars would falter or break and so forth. It, there was no idea. I mean, there was this element of durability in some respects, but yeah. there was also this idea that whatever they tried, there was an element that things would fail, and it, there was no attempt to try and improve that. Um, yeah. And nor did nor did that uh, come about through, you know, the discussions between the labour forces. And as far as they were concerned, it was about churning out more yeah. and more product, but not yeah. necessarily churning out good product um, yeah. and and, yeah. and quality product. So that that comes into it as well in terms of I'm sure some of your teachings are will, will touch upon that idea yeah. of zero defect as well. Yeah. Well, and so and so let's let's do that. I mean, these are well, what I'm going to go through then essentially are these seven principles. That sort of a, a sort of part has been born out of this sort of lean methodology, but these principles were, as I mentioned before, we're focusing more on personal productivity rather than sort of the, the the manufacturing industry. And what is and what is interesting is to see how okay are there so are there sort of similarities within the sort of Islamic you know way way of way of thought, and and all all of these are addressed at how to sort of tackle you know. You know, laziness within our within our own lives, um, and 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 sort of you know become a more sort of you know productive member of society, and this you know turning to this first principle then um, a term a Japanese concept known as ikigai, um, loosely translates life purpose, and it says essentially to to discover your purpose in life, find something that makes that makes you wake up each day, aligning with your talents, passions, professions, and and contributing to the world. In essence, your purpose fuels you. 
And I, I, when I sort of come across that concept about, you know, your life purpose, suppose as a, from a, a Muslim perspective, you have this very bold verse within the Holy, within the Holy Quran, chapter 51, verse 57, where, where God is sort of stating in the first person, and I did not create the jinn and mankind except to worship me. Um, I suppose without going too deep into the meanings of, of the terms here, but there's there's this notion where where you where you see jinn and mankind, the the word jinn mean um, almost a sort of the highest higher section of society, the the bourgeoisie, as you could say, and the mankind being sort of the common man. So almost in a way, God is sort of addressing both both groups within society, both sections of society, the rich and the poor. Um, and God is saying that uh, you know I there's the purpose behind behind by by me creating you. Um, and is it that is to worship me? And I, I was just going to say, I suppose that is us. You could say that, but the crux of it—that's our driving force. Is, is that is yeah. that what you call? I, I think fundamentally, there's there's an interesting difference. Is whereas the ikigai concept um, asks you to go and define your purpose mm. and have that as a purpose to fuel you. So it almost doesn't define the purpose for you it sort of states you need to have it yeah um and use it properly in 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 regards to how you you accord islam as a religion gives you a purpose but within that purpose it gives you an opportunity to define more about that in terms of how you live it um so this whole idea when we talk about um that particular that quranic verse um, when it says accepts for you to worship me, which is God, obviously, um, worship is an interesting idea where you're almost it almost indicates this beholden to, to God kind of idea. But from yeah. within that, there's also other teachings that relate to this whole idea that you know the the purpose is also for you know to to service to to God within and also service to mankind, right? So those yeah. two things uh, exist, right? That um, in what you do. So when you look at, at your service to God and how you behave, it's your, your, you know, it could be your charity, it could be your prayers, it could be everything around that you do. And the Islam helps define those for you about what that purpose is for God, how you practice it, how you execute it. And yeah. the same thing, it gives you that idea of how you serve mankind and even go through lots of teachings around, you know, that your service to mankind is unconditional as well. It's not conditioned in that sense that um, you expect things in, re in return. But I find this really interesting because it, um, you know, when we look at our work and if you look at successful businesses and so yeah. forth, they do have this kind of concept of, you know, what motivates you when you're at work and so forth. Is it, if it's the money, yes, that can motivate you to some extent, but it doesn't make you or the business great, right? Yeah. What yeah. makes you the business great and unhappy in that regards is that you care. And yeah. if you care, um, then that comes out. You can use that as, as a process of having that service to mankind. So, yeah. you know, in business, we if you serve the customer and you say the customer is king, because you know that if you serve your customer well, they'll come back for more. They'll invite others to come. You won't have to. You won't lose customers. You'd have to spend time on acquiring customers. So your business betters from yeah. if you care. If you have that approach to it, then it yeah. kind of evolves from there. So caring as a, as a singular word has to come from a motivation, and the motivation has to come from somewhere. So that yeah. can be how you express how you you fuel your purpose. But in many ways, it comes from this whole idea of service to mankind and service to God at the same time. So it's fueled by that. Um, and yeah. I like that idea of how, um, you know, you, you and, and I think there's a lot of people in in our community who, who do work in this idea of public service. Um, yeah. Be it, you know, we, you know, we had a lot of people encouraged to be it doctors, nurses, teachers, or so forth, um, and public servants. And, and that they, it's easy for them in some respect because they're caring for people essentially or serving people. Yeah. Uh, and so it's easier to to do that when you know that you're accountable to God and, uh, yeah. and that purpose that you, you serve him and you serve his creation in that regard. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. No, that's, that's a good point made. You think a principle also, there. Yeah, sorry, God. Yeah. I was going to say also this is one of the other uh, areas that uh, you, you 
you may have also touched upon before was, you know, yeah. there's a phrase about, you know, using talents for, for good idea as well in terms yeah. of, I think that's a particularly idea, importance of, of, of making sure that you improve as well. So I think you, uh, there's a quote that, that exists in um, chapter uh, 16, verse 91, which says, Verily Allah enjoys justice and the doing of good to others and yeah. giving like kindred and forbid and forbid indecency and manifest and manifest evil and wrongful transgression it punishes you that you may take heed right yeah. so yeah. Uh, that's a particularly interesting one because it ideas of, of so when you serve you serve with both justice and do good to each other right so it serves yeah. you gives you a purpose on those on those areas and that the idea of also talking about where the boundaries are for you not to step into as well so yeah. Yeah. staying away from things that will uh be bad for you or, or mislead you etc is also part of the teaching that you make sure you stay on the right track as well so yeah. i think that yeah. covers that in terms of what i believe in terms of the whole idea of, of having a purpose and yeah. purpose should be defined by something noble as well so yeah so I was just going to say, in some ways, this probably is a central pillar amongst all of it, really, amongst all of what we're about to talk about. Which this is the foundation. This is the acknowledgement that that there is a that there is a creator who's who's put us here for a reason, um, and that probably sort of runs through a lot of these principles. Um, the 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 second principle then is a concept quite known, I suppose, in the industry. Um, it's called kaizen which translates as sort of continuous improvement. And and so from this, from the lean sort of perspective, it talks about focusing on those small improvements each day instead of trying to do everything at once, make progress little by little. Um, and yeah, this is, this is, this is a concept which is championed a lot in, in, in the industry. And I think applying it to, to your personal life probably equally has its merits. There is this one verse in particular, I think, and I'll be honest, I think when I, when I hear, when I first, saw this within the course training course and it, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show about you know when you hear these sort of things and all of a sudden that light bulb moment goes, goes off in your head and for me that moment as one it resonated with this verse in the holy quran which i think is packed you know you could, i genuinely think you could do shows upon shows upon just this one verse and there's a verse in the quran from chapter 29 verse 70 uh, which states and as for those who strive in our path we will surely guide them in our ways. And verily God is with those who do good. And and, and such a simplistic verse where where you know where this really is encapsulated within this verse is almost like the journey of of a believer on his on his path to towards his, his maker, basically, his his journey of trying to understand everything. Why is he on this why has been why is he on this world? You know, well, what is his relationship between him and his maker? Um but you know, there's so much to unpack from that one verse, and I, for me, I think that just sums up that you know you can't. I suppose from a faith point of view, you don't, you can't become a saint within 24 hours. You can't. It doesn't. It doesn't work like that. You know, it just there is a there's a methodology here. Just as we see, for example, within Lean, um, there is a methodology within Islam as well that it, it, spirituality is is a gradual process. I think that's interesting. We know, like you know, when you when you look at even say Kaizen, maybe cover the, this concept of talked about zero defect kind of idea, um, yeah. and and if you apply that to to a and on the production line, there would be this process of looking at something that faltered or broke down, right, and mm-hmm. going back to the thought, so why did that happen? Was there uh, were you using the mold too long, or were you were you, you know, was the wrong pressure applied to that particular component or whatever, you know, in terms of, was the wrong material being used or the wrong, were the tools outdated or at the time? So, you know, you would, you would analyze, I mean, you'd understand that those people who were looking and monitoring that production line and, and analyzing the faults or something yeah. would take that apart and find what was the reason for that fault, right? Yeah. So that idea of failure is, the the whole concept of how you improve, right? Because the, the idea of something breaks down, faults, you look at improvement, right? And that concept of improvement, when you quoted that one, you know, this concept of strive, you use yeah. the word strive. I mean, any other word could be used, right? But 
you could even remove that word from that statement, but it's included very specifically because there is this idea of journey and of, of you know hardship that comes out of that word because striving yeah. means that you you have to reach for that, that those goals and and you have to find that way to get to there and that road or that path that you're you're journeying in isn't going to be straightforward as well. Yeah. So yeah. um you know this this there is this concept also um we obviously we believe in in the promised Messiah as it was a Galam Ahmed um and he wrote um had a book which was based upon a speech around the um, philosophy and teachings of Islam. And yeah. when I read this book, I mean, it breaks people down into sort of, I think, three levels. And, and yeah. the, the, the middle kind of person, and this covers most, many people, I suppose, is the person who's, um, is a self-improving person, essentially. Yeah. Um, and that's basically the, the soul that's trying to uh, better, but will falter. And, you know, it's like yeah. the two steps forward, one step back or, or whatever. Yeah. There is a few steps forward, but there's always an, um, something that falters along the way. Yeah. And that, to, to a large extent, I think that is one of the the interesting aspects of this idea that um, self-improvement is accepting those failures that come yeah. along and trying to mitigate against them and improve and overcome those as well. So, yeah. so to be always this idea that we don't see... Um, uh, you like you said your Rome isn't built in a day or you can't become a Satan in a day either. It it's there is a journey that takes that that place and and you have to appreciate yeah the journey and the, the idea of being able to find fault and failure yeah. from which you yeah. from which you strive and improve to. Yeah. I absolutely. think that's a really important really important part of that. But the idea of strife and steadfastness, I mean Islam talks a lot about steadfastness. Um because you can't strive without this idea that you're going to accept the knocks and the hardships and the adversity that comes along yeah. with it. So yeah. Islam always pushes you to have adverse, uh, steadfastness along the way as well to, to, yeah. to pick yourself up from those failures as well. Absolutely. Moving on to the third technique, it's known as the, the Pomodoro technique. And this is a concept um, which talks around, you know, working for, if you say work for 25 minutes without distractions and then take a break for five minutes, and then repeat that, that is probably the most efficient way of, of trying to get something done. And and I'm, I know we were talking about this just before the show, and, and I think you had a sort of a really a fascinating sort of connection with the way sort of how Islam breaks up the day. And you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I think this is, this, this is an interesting, because if you, you obviously know people who are Muslims, they have um, something that sticks out compared to other religions of having five prayers a day. Yeah, and the timings of those prayers are, you know, throughout the sort of expanse of the day, from the early um, morning prayer, which is, is a pre-dawn prayer, yeah. to a, a prayer that's almost around the midday kind of area, which is zor, which is give or take around that kind of mark, but not on midday itself. You have usher later on in the uh, as you approach the sort of after, late afternoon sort of time frame, and you then have obviously later. Um, Prayers like Maghrib and Isha, which come later on in the in the evening time, but all of those are kind of spread out. So your the two that kind of really interestingly come along the way is the prayers that are like Zohar and Asr, for example, and Fajr as well to a large extent as well. So these are prayers around what you would define your waking hours. Um, yeah. So those are your productivity day time frame, right? So the waking yeah. hours. But almost whatever profession you are, you're supposedly around the daylight hours supposed to be productive. And you would assume, well, if you if you could work all the time that you were given, you'd be more productive. The reality is also you, you can't. But Islam does something interesting in that it, it has those time frames for you to say, you stop work now, you yeah. pray, you give your time to God. And so what it forces you to do, whether you realize it or not, is that if you meet, if you are intending to to pray and to serve God in those sort of times, and to give yourself to God in those sort of times, then you have to make a living and be productive within the time frames that you are given to you, right? So that becomes a more focused and concentrated time frame. It may not be that twenty-five minute time frame, yeah. maybe longer, but in large extent, it gives you uh, a window in which you focus your efforts. Um, and I think that's really an interesting idea is that you could see 
if you were to look at it, well, these prayers are obstacles to your working day because yeah. they interrupt a, a whole working day. You know, yeah. some people don't want to take a lunch break because it interrupts their day. But yeah. Islam says, you know, you have to pray at these three times, and that gives you the idea of breaking it up, concentrating yeah. in your work and effort, and then going back to something like prayer or rest or whatever. So it, yeah. it's a very interesting idea. And also, this other idea, we talked about this, I mean, this concept of laziness as well. But I'll yeah. bring, since we're on the topic of prayer as well, I think one of the other features of, of Islam is that it, it, uh, forces you to get up in the morning um, yeah. at a time you might define as an ungodly hour, uh, yeah. but it actually is a godly hour to be honest yeah. with you in the sense that um, you give it to God um, at a time that you probably would rather be, um, you know, warm in your bed. Um, yeah. And and that idea of if you have a purpose and you want to serve God, then you mitigate some of your laziness by having yeah. to overcome your your demons and stuff to um, yeah. to, to to reach that. So what it I'm, also I'm, does I'm is... I forced you to get to sleep, well, at, at a reasonable uh, hour as well. Yeah, yeah. as well. <laughs> not, always, yeah. not always possible at certain times. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. but it does force you to say, okay, I, whether you get to bed on time, it's still a, a, a distinct effort to get up for even for your friendship, yeah. right? Um, yeah. And if you're, you know, want to even... Exceed uh, those, you know. You're there's that even earlier prayers like Tahajjud that you would ask you, you know, to be expected. So Islam sets you higher and higher standards and requirements from time to time to actually achieve. Yeah, um, and I think that's probably also one of the things. You know, there's always a, a higher standard to achieve in, in being a Muslim, right? That you're yeah. never you're never there. You know, yeah. you're always going to strive and have yeah. to achieve more. So I think yeah. this. Um, Pompadouro technique and stuff is it's a fine idea in that respect. And I think Islam covers that a lot quite effectively in many other areas. Yeah. Yeah. Which brings us on to the fourth point, um, the fourth principle, um, which in Japanese is is down as uh harahachibu, which is eat until you're eighty percent full. You know, if you eat slowly and not to stuff yourself satisfied with your energy levels and improving of your mood. Now, I suppose Islam sort of takes it a step further in the sense that there is um, a saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of God be upon him. Um, it was in the book, uh, a, a collection of of his sayings in a book called Ibn Majah. And this hadith uh, states as follows, that the messenger of God, peace and blessings of God be upon him, said, a human being feels uh, no worse vessel than his stomach. It is sufficient for a human being to eat a few mouthfuls to keep his spine straight. But if he must fill it, then one third of food, one third, one third for food, one third for drink, and one third for air. So that's a very interesting concept that we're almost, we really are sort of reducing our sort of, con, our, our, you know, how much we are our intake. A third for food, a third for drink, um, and the rest is have a gap. You know, not to you know, there, there really is sort of a, a demarcation there. I think it also there's another element which, um, if I probably would get the quote for, I can do it at the top of my head, but there, um, and there's a topic that we'll probably discuss, um, and another one of our discussions was regarding about what you consume as well. And I think yeah. one of the things that covers that also is that, um, is that what you consume, Islam guides you in terms of eating which is um pure and yeah. natural right so um it gives a guidance on that as well and i think that's one of the other aspects where you take into account obviously um in what defined as this concept that you refer to around a third of food a third of water a third of air it's it's this nobody can say they've had a third of this or yeah. have enough space right so it's a concept isn't it yeah. and, and i think the same Nobody can turn around and say eat 80% full yeah. and leave the rest as a, as a gap. You know, it's yeah. it's near impossible to to measure yeah. what is that in your own consumption. What it is trying to say is don't fill yourself up, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's a tendency for us to do that. Um, and, you know, we're, I mean, I'm guilty of that as well. It's not, yeah. a, it's a, I'm not going to turn around and say to you, it's, it, you know, we're all, um, we we don't overdo that kind of rule and stuff, but the guideline is there, and it's an interesting guideline because there is this idea of you know your 
you if you eat the wrong kind of foods as well as much as you you um eat the foods that are i mean there's all the issue around here when we talk around good foods and stuff but there's a lot of stuff around um yeah. foods which are processed foods that are ultra processed foods for example and yeah. they tend to have this ha habit of giving you you know little peaks and then uh you you slump basically and you you feel like you're heavy and and like you want to fall asleep or something so yeah. the wrong kind of foods for example can give you an indication or overeating can for example make you less productive as well so this yeah. whole idea of eating enough but not enough to make you um to to unproductive or, or ineffective as well so this is also an interesting concept but also to actually aid your digestion aid your uh, well-being as well so this is yeah. an overall technique to ensure that you you don't overindulge and so forth yeah and no, Islam yeah, also that's... we also know uh, this whole idea of uh you know being eating and doing a moderation so this yeah. is another kind of technique that Islam also propagates as well yeah no absolutely Turning to the fifth principle, this is a concept known as shoshin, which loosely translates as a, having a beginner's mind. And it says to approach every task like a beginner with the same level of curiosity as if you were doing it for the first time. And then when I heard this concept, for me, I thought it felt as if it resonates very greatly with this, how can I say, obligation? or Within Islam, there is very much this notion of of um, you know, of seeking knowledge at every opportunity. Um, so, so many sayings. I mean, well, you know, as a start of a term, we have a verse in the Holy Quran that states as a prayer that we all say, that oh Lord, increase me in knowledge. You know, straight out. You know, we 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 you know we, we it's something that we should be said. You know, on on a very frequent basis. Flowing from that is various various hadiths, various statements uh, made by the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of God be upon him, about just. The, the value of knowledge uh, literally i'm just running through just a couple now we have within the same book of uh, uh traditions i mentioned before in ibn majah where there was a saying seeking knowledge is an obligation upon every muslim um in, in another collection known as say muslim you know whoever travels a path in search of knowledge god will make easy of him uh, his uh, will make easy for him a path to paradise from uh, another collection of traditions known as abu Dawud, Verily, the angels lower their wings for the seeker of knowledge. So again and again, it's um, this this concept of seeking knowledge as if we are, con you know, we are sort of beginners who we can never, it can never be said that we know everything. It never could it be said that. But rather, um, you know, as we've talked about before, everything is, is, is we're on a journey and we're constantly learning. But that's also kind of tied into this idea that you know, we, we always define Allah's or God's attributes as Allah's mm -hmm. all-knowing. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the other things around it is that, you know, in, in the world of science, you know, sciences discover things. Um, yeah. And one of the, the beauties of this thing is, is that through the process of learning or educating ourselves, you know, we can discover things. And what we're actually really discovering is the magnificence of, of God. Mm. Um, and that, in, in essence, is a process of bringing ourselves to closer to to our, our creator that bonding that relationship that we have between ourselves and our creator so knowledge is that whole realization that whole concept of reflection islam talks a lot about reflection um yeah. and understanding and, and you know obviously patience as well but what i like a lot about this is education is you know in its truest sense this idea of uh, uncovering what we we don't know and that what what the world is and, and also about what our creator uh, has given us for us to yeah. understand and 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 if we come out of it in more awe of our creator as such then that's yeah. all the better in terms of our uh, understanding but it also hopefully fuels this idea of of learning and and doing more and we also know and i think you'll know from your um from your own professional world as well that that, that you know Today, ahead of me in your own profession, the idea yeah. of concept of learning and self improvement yeah. uh, is is one of the key things in your in your career to continuously improve and develop and so forth. So that certainly is one of the hallmarks, yeah. both to actually sustain your career, but also at the same time, it's there for you to sustain yeah. your relationship with your God and actually appreciate 
the creator a lot more as well. Yeah. And I think the the other kind of interesting about you know it's interesting how um, when the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him um, is first encounter with um, the God as such is actually this process of when he is you know talked to by uh, yeah. her, the angel Gabriel. Yeah. Uh, he's asked he's asked to read um yeah. and he says very much i can't read because he's an un uneducated man right yeah. um and th this whole journey of this concept of he's asked to read or recite you know and so forth where he yeah. feels uneducated in that regard so that that process of you know in the islamic world of educating and learning and reading and so forth comes very much really from that those first words and that first encounter yeah. with between the prophet and, and angel gabriel um and i think that's an interesting area where you know, yeah. islam has been um and it is in its glorious moment is when it's people have picked up this idea of reading and understanding and learning um yeah. and, and and the best of the islamic world has always come around when it's had its libraries and its knowledge um in and and is given to the world so much in terms of knowledge and understanding and the renaissance and so forth that, exactly. that came about so this whole idea of of learning and and taking knowledge and and sharing it as well i think what we we don't realize right, when we talk about even the muslim world as such is it's not just around um acquiring the knowledge but also then sharing it and yeah. being an open source kind of concept of yeah. of of education and knowledge and that it shouldn't be just a a, yeah. um, a simple thing and I, I, I think the Muslim world uh, is also to be commended on in, in its height um, the idea of actually sharing knowledge out and not necessarily leaving okay. that just to its own its own community its own culture as well so Absolutely. that's one of the, the great things around it Absolutely. moving on to the sixth principle here known as uh, Wabi Sabi which is known as the beauty of imperfection and it says this principle is about embracing imperfections. You know, instead of uh, stressing over every detail, focus on what's important and find beauty in simplicity. Um, taking action is better than waiting for perfection. Now, I, I suppose when I thought about this, it, I don't know if the connection is there, but I thought maybe it sort of reminded me of that verse in the Holy Quran, chapter 4, verse 29, that God desires to lighten your burden, for man has been created weak. And I for me, I thought, as 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 it's an acknowledgement then that we we are not we, without God. Who are we? There's, you know that the, the, He's our sort of central um, sort of beam that sort of runs throughout our lives. Um, who can we depend on if we cannot can't depend on Him? Um, all our needs and wants are, are satisfied by Him. You know, we, we you know as as we talked about in the previous principles here that our prayer is is, is sort of a, a key aspect as well within our lives. Um, time and again, we're turning to God um, at, at various junctures of the day. Because because we are meek, we, we are weak, uh, we have our imperfections. And and, and furthermore, we there is this concept within Islam known as istighfar, which is kind of sort of seeking forgiveness. But, but some of that word probably doesn't do it justice, that word forgiveness, because it's about you know, when when one is seeking forgiveness from God, it's almost sort of future proofing it. Whereas we're seeking forgiveness from God for even the the propensity to commit future sins. So it's not only just about the past, but the potential for the future to to sort of save us from sort of you know whatever we may sort of stumble across in our in, in our in our future. So I, I don't know if that if that sort of resonates with that, but I just thought there's an acknowledgement there that we are weak. Um, and that without God, you know, we we cannot move forward. Would you agree? I kind of saw it slightly different, but I see your point. Yeah. I know what you're trying to say on this one, but um, it's also this concept of, I mean, beauty of imperfection. To me, it's kind of this idea that um, you can appreciate, um, you can also appreciate what you're achieving. You know, there's an idea that you don't beat yourself up about something you are humble enough to know that your faults and you can seek forgiveness with um with god in terms of uh accepting that you know you you need to improve and could ask for his forgiveness and and ask i you know that idea of protecting yourself from future kind of faults faltering as well i think there's also this whole idea that you don't 
you know, personal in the personal world, beat yourself up about um, your 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 faults or your downfall or your issues that you may have as well. So, but I also saw a little bit about um, what it reminded me a little bit also, and I, and I probably mentioned to you some time before was that um, the beauty of imperfection, and it reminds me of a community of of uh, Quakers. Um, right. You, um, Quakers, as you know, as a, as a form of Christians who yeah. in America used to um, have a very much separate life, not completely separate, but somewhat secluded. And then within their own community, they're very much, you'll know, there's also furniture, which is Quaker kind of furniture, which is a, a yeah. certain type of furniture and, and it's made of wood and usually it's, it's sort of kitchen type stuff. And the interesting aspect of it all was it's relatively simple furniture but it's yeah. really well made and it's and it's down to a level where there is an element of trying to be perfect within it um and at the same time the one of the reasons why um quakers did this was because of through their work of trying to seek perfection they would um see that idea of god and that idea of perfectionism in, in god and so forth obviously you can't um uh, and make something perfect for in the shape of God or whatever, but you can try and strive for the idea of perfection. And so yeah. this whole idea of, you know, in our world that we, we live as Muslims, there is a need to strive for perfection. There is a need to to excel, you know, and Islam will always give you more and more goals and challenges to improve yourself as well. It will also help you improve what you want to do, but it will also at the same time want you not to um, over you know, to, to almost feel as though you're not achieving what you, you are. You know, you've got to accept that you're striving and to be steadfast. It yeah. tells you to be steadfast and steadfast is this idea of accepting that, you know, you're, it's a continuous process. It's going to be about proving. It's going to be about striving to achieve the best you can. And in a similar way, um, when you talk about um, the burdens, you know, um, there's, there's an interesting idea that, you, you won't be burdened beyond what you're capable of. Yes. Um, at the same time, um, you will also be challenged. So there's this wonderful balance of pushing you into your to your limits, essentially, without trying to uh, break you as such, yeah. right? And yeah. and most people know that, you know, all people who are, who are righteous or trying to be righteous will know that they'll be challenged as well. So challenges yeah. don't go away. From when you, um, from the better you try to strive, challenges will still exist, but that's only there to make you better as well. And so, in this whole idea of perfection, um, I think comes out of this whole idea that um, we need to make sure that we continuously try to improve, but accept those imperfections along the way. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then moving on to sort of the final principle, and this is a concept known as capable, uh, which is almost like a uh, like a holding a financial ledger. Then make a budget and track your expenses to cultivate a mind of mindful uh, spending habits. Which I, I think for me, there's this, right in the beginning of uh, of chapter two. There's a there's a verse a very 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 early on in the first couple of verses of, of chapter two of the Holy Quran that God is saying, you know, spend out of what we have provided for you. Um, I think that there very much is this notion of of um, not spending frivolously. Absolutely. I think also um, one of the other kind of quotes you might hear on um, Voice of Islam comes about to mind as well, is that, you know, it, it, there's a saying of, you know, do not waste uh, water even if you are by, uh, live by a stream. Yeah. So the, the idea is that it's not about just money in Islam, it's about resources. Um, yeah. And you you need to be prudent in all those regards as well. That wastefulness is is not is frowned upon because all of those things are provided to you by your Creator. So yeah. when you waste them, you are ineffectively uh, wasting His resources that He's given upon you. So it's about being you know in Islam you are accountable to your Creator. So yeah. that level of accountability yeah. is important not just in how you behave and how you use resources and, and who you use the resources on as well. So in all respects, I think while that must deal with just around this idea of budgets and planning, planning yeah. and budgeting is around how you are avoid being frivolous, right? So how you ensure that you 
account for all of your um, responsibilities. So it, this also goes down to this idea of who you owe money to as well. Um, and the idea that, you know, of uh, not getting into debt or avoiding, you know, usury and so forth, this whole idea of um, being responsible for your for your debts as well. And so this is a very important part of the, the idea of spending out of it, but also being responsible for it. So yeah, I think Islam covers a lot yeah. on this, but also on the resourcing side of things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, only for time reasons, I'm afraid we have to bring this episode to a close. A big thank you to my co-presenter, Asif Ashraf. But before we close, here's a quote from the founder of the Amdi Muslim community, Azim Mizakullah Muhammad, the awaited Messiah and Mahdi, who was prophesied to come in the latter days, when he said the following words of wisdom about using the Holy Quran as a touchstone to see how well we are doing. He says, we should always appraise the degree to which we have progressed in righteousness and piety. The criterion for this is the Holy Quran. From among the hallmarks of the righteous, one sign manifested by God, the exalted, in favor of a pious one, is that he frees them from the unpleasant things of this world and himself becomes the guardian of their affairs. God, the exalted, states in the Holy Quran, and he who fears God, he will make for him a way out and will provide for him from where he expects not. God the Exalted delivers a person who fears him fears him from any difficulty that befalls him and grants him provision from where he expects not. In other words, one sign of a righteous person is that God the Exalted does not enslave him to the recourse of immoral ways and means. For example, a shopkeeper believes that his business cannot operate without the support of falsehood. For this reason, he does not refrain from deception and expresses the need for speaking lies. However, this so-called need is completely unjustified. God Almighty becomes the protector of a righteous person and saves him from such instances as would compel him to speak untruths. Remember, when a person abandons God the exalted, God forsakes such a person as well. Moreover, when the merciful God leaves a person, Satan definitely develops a relationship with such a one. Think not that God Almighty is weak, Indeed, he is a possessor of immense power. When you put your trust in him for support in any matter, he shall come to your aid. That's it for this week's edition of Pathway to Peace. We're back same time next week. Peace be upon you.